Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, where your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Rose Spiller and Chris Paxson. We're continuing in our series, Real Truth About Real Stuff. And in this episode, we're going to talk about when life just sucks. We need to start with a disclaimer, though, that in this episode, we're specifically speaking to believers. We know there are a lot of unbelievers out there that are in pain too, but the hope and encouragement offered in Scripture is exclusively for anyone who's made Jesus their Lord and Savior. For unbelievers, the most important thing they need to do and need to hear is the gospel message. Chris, I'm glad you made that distinction. You know, my guess is a lot of you listening can relate to times when life just sucks. Maybe you've lost a child or a spouse. Maybe you've been a victim of violence. Maybe you're lonely. Or maybe you have an addiction or a disorder that you deal with every day. Maybe you're constantly struggling financially. Maybe your family's in shambles. Or maybe you're suffering for another reason. The reality is that for some of us, just getting out of bed every day is not something we look forward to because our lives are hard and may even feel unbearable at times. Yeah, you know, Rose, there are so many Christians that are hurting. And the garbage that's being peddled out there, like live your best life now or God wants you to succeed in all things. Or if you just have enough faith, anything is possible, only makes that worse. Agreed. So it's crucial that we understand one foundational truth. Being a Christian does not guarantee that we will be immune from the types of issues that you talked about or hundreds of others. The truth is that's repeated several times in the Bible. But Jesus puts it simply and bluntly in John 16, where he says, in this world, you will have tribulation or some versions say trouble. I think that's an important place to start, Chris, because sometimes expectation makes all the difference. If we believe liars and con artists like Joel Osteen or Joseph Prince, our expectations are going to be that God wants everything to always be fabulous in the earthly lives of his people. The problem is, if you believe this, then when things aren't fabulous, you'll be left feeling either God is mad at you, you don't have enough faith, or that you've done something wrong. Friends, I gotta tell you, if I could smack these guys and so many others like them upside the head, I would. They've done extensive damage to so many people. I know, it's horrible. It's horrible. And I would smack them upside the head too if I could. But First Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals that come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I don't know where these guys get their lines at, but in both this verse and the John 16:33 verse, scripture makes it pretty darn clear that Christians can expect trials and suffering on earth. And if anybody's telling you anything different, they are a liar and a heretic. And we should say that there are certainly times when our own sin brings about some of the trouble in our lives, and we are going to talk about that. But as the verses in John and 1 Peter and a lot of others show, Christians can expect to have trouble. They can expect trials. They can expect tragedies. They can expect disasters, even death. And it's not because God is mad at us. It's not because we don't have enough faith. And it may come even when we've done every single thing that we can think to do right. Exactly. So we've established that we're all going to face some kind of trial or suffering in our life. But that doesn't mean that it's distributed equally to everyone. There's no doubt that some Christians have a lot more difficulties and pain heaped on them than others. And honestly, we can't answer as to the why of that. But we can give you answers to other questions. 
I think that's a, at a really important point to make, Rose. It's not going to be spread out equally. And we will answer most of the questions about pain and suffering, like how can a loving God do this to me? Why has God allowed so much pain in my life or in the world? Or where is God when I'm hurting? And please know that at no time are we making light of anything you might be going through. Yes, the Bible says Christians can expect to suffer, but nowhere does Jesus or any biblical writer say that those troubles or tribulations will be easy, nor do they say that they won't be painful, devastating, or maybe even deadly. Chris, I think before we answer the questions you posed, we should address something you alluded to earlier, when we are the cause of our circumstances. Yeah, and we've all been there, self-included, lots of times. And I think this is a good place to start because if we are the cause, then it means that we might actually be able to do something to help our circumstances. When we find ourselves in a bad place or if our life is a train wreck or we're really unhappy, one of the first things we need to look at is to see if we've done anything that's causing it. We need to examine ourselves and see if we've sinned in the situation or are living in some type of sinful state. You know, and examples of this might be that your family's being torn apart by an addiction you have, or maybe you had an affair. Things like you're a mess because you're negligent and abusive to your family. Maybe you're struggling financially, but when you really look at it, you're trying to live above your means and so many other things. Yeah, it's like when you first go to an AA meeting, they encourage you to stand up and admit that you're an alcoholic. And that's because when you admit it out loud that you have a problem, it enables you to deal with it. We can't change something unless we recognize and acknowledge its existence. Our sin works the same way. Once we acknowledge our sin and our responsibility in the situation, we can ask God for forgiveness, and then we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us repent of it and change. And it may be hard, it is hard, to admit that you're steeped in sin, no doubt about it. But if you are, God already knows it. And probably everyone around you does too. By denying it, you aren't fooling anyone but yourself. Once you admit to God your responsibility in your situation and you truly ask forgiveness and sincerely repent, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you're going to feel empowered to better overcome that sin. That is so true. And we see a great biblical example of this in the life of King David in the Bible. That narrative is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David basically rapes a woman named Bathsheba, who we've probably all heard of. She becomes pregnant. He tries to pawn the baby off as her husband's baby and when that plan fails he arranges it so her husband is killed in battle and then he marries her david does repent of his sin but there's still consequences to be paid like the baby dies but once david repents and he asks god for forgiveness and he accepts the consequences of his actions he's able to move on with his life and he achieves great things that god had planned for him yeah and it couldn't have been easy And we aren't saying that acknowledging your sin and turning away from it and dealing with the consequences of any of it's going to be easy or that you won't backslide. But taking responsibility for your sin is definitely the first step in fixing your situation. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Here's another verse. Acts 3, 19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sin may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And our prayer is for anyone that's listening who's feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit that something they're doing may be causing the pain in their lives. We just pray that you would go before God, confess your sin, 
and ask him to help you turn away from it and find that refreshing. And if you aren't completely sure what it is that you're doing that's wrong, but you know there's something, ask God to show you what your sin is. You have nothing to fear. Psalm 103, 8 to 13 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I love that. I love those verses. Me too. All right. So let's move on. Let's move on to when our pain and our circumstances are not our fault. Like when we lose a loved one or we're lonely or we've been the victim of someone else's sin or thousands of other reasons. Chris, we've already said that Christians can expect to suffer, but let's answer the question, why? Why does a loving God allow his people to suffer? Well, this question has perplexed people ever since Jesus' time. So we are not new here wondering why. And it began with Jesus' apostles. Just about every single one of them was beaten, tortured, imprisoned, and killed for proclaiming Jesus as Lord. How's that for sucking? And throughout history, there have been millions of Christians who have faced the same treatment for the same proclamation. One thing we know for sure is that God is sovereign over everything. He is and has been in control of the entire universe and everyone in it ever since the creation of the world. Colossians 1 verses 16 and 17 confirm this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. You know, if knowing that God is in complete sovereign control of every single thing in your life makes you more upset because you've been getting by by telling yourself that it's Satan who's causing your problems or that bad things just happen and it has nothing to do with God, I want you to consider this. As a believer, you should know that God is completely good and completely loving. Would you rather your circumstances, no matter how bad they may be, be in God's hands or the hands of chance or worse yet, in the hands of Satan? So knowing that God is completely in control and that he is good and loving, let's answer why he lets bad things happen to those he loves or why he brings bad things. And we can begin to answer this question by starting with this truth. The ultimate purpose of the entire universe and Everything in it is to display the greatness of the glory of God. And at no time does God's glory shine more brightly and more beautifully than through his grace. So the ultimate aim of everything, even suffering, is to display the glory of God and his grace. And I heard this wonderful thing from Paul Washer today. He said, you know, if you compare Jacob and Esau, God left Esau to himself. He was wealthy. He gave him everything he promised him. But Jacob, the chosen one, had trouble. Lots of it. Hmm. That's a great point. I love that. I thought so too. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of you are wondering, how does your suffering glorify God and show his grace? You know, John Piper puts this perfectly, so I'm just going to quote him. The death of Christ in supreme suffering is the highest, clearest, surest display of the glory of the grace of God. Because this is true, a stunning truth is revealed. 
namely, suffering is an essential part of the created universe in which the greatness of the glory of the grace of God can be most fully revealed. Suffering is an essential part of the tapestry of the universe so that the weaving of grace can be seen for what it really is. Or, to put it simply and starkly, the ultimate reason that suffering exists in the universe is so that Christ might display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God by suffering in himself to overcome our suffering. So let me give you a list of things that Jesus did accomplish through his suffering at his crucifixion and his resurrection. One, he absorbed the wrath of God that we deserve. Romans 5, 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Two, he purchased forgiveness for our sins. 1 John 4.10 says, In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Three, he imputed his righteousness to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Four, he defeated death. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. 5. He secured Satan's defeat and destruction. After the fall, God told Satan in Genesis 3:16, He, meaning Jesus, will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. 6. He obtained final healing and an eventual end to all suffering for his people. Revelation 21, 4 shows us this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And last, he assured that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. John 14, 3 says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. How great is that? That is quite a list. So, I think we can agree that Jesus suffered and that suffering was so that the grace of the glory of God could be shown to the world. And Chris, you just read a list of invaluable benefits that Jesus obtained by suffering. But how is the glory of God shown through our suffering? Well, here's another list. One, nothing deepens our relationship with God and our faith more than suffering. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 say, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is Paul talking. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Number two, nothing gives us a greater eternal reward than suffering. Romans 8.17 says, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Three, nothing emboldens people to step up more than suffering. Paul again is talking in Philippians 1.14. He says, most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And another one. Nothing draws us to Christ more than suffering. Again, here's Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And the last one, 
Nothing displays God's strength in our weaknesses more than in our suffering. 2 Corinthians 12. When God refuses to remove Paul's thorn in the flesh, he says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul responds to this, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love that stuff. And it's all true, every bit of it. And Rose, we've given sound biblical reasons why Jesus suffered and why God allows his people to suffer. But now, let's talk about the reality when we are in the midst of it. Like when we're right in the thick of it. Well, Chris, Richard Wormbrand was a pastor in Romania after World War II. He was imprisoned for 14 years by Russia for proclaiming Jesus. He was regularly tortured and starved. He recalls times the bottom of his feet were beaten so badly his skin would peel off like ribbons. That just makes me cringe. Oh, it makes me so sick to my stomach. And as another method of torture, they put Pastor Wormbrand in solitary confinement. For two years, he was kept in a completely dark five foot by five foot cell that was completely silent. Even the guards wore foam on their shoes to keep everything silent. And in his book, God's Underground, here's what he had to say about everything that he endured. He said, the prison years did not seem too long for me, for I discovered alone in my cell that beyond belief and love, there's delight in God. A deep and extraordinary ecstasy of happiness that is like nothing in this world. And when I came out of prison, I was like someone who comes down from a mountaintop where he has seen for miles around the peace and the beauty of the countryside and now returns to the plains. I I can't even imagine feeling that way. I can't either. In the two years that Pastor Wormbrand was kept in solitary confinement, He kept his sanity, he says, by composing a thousand sermons in his head and recited them out loud. He had no paper or pen or anything. When he was finally released from prison, he remembered almost every one of them, and he began to give them at his church. You know, from what we read that he himself says about his suffering, I can imagine that his sermons would have been quite different had he never suffered at all. So what got Pastor Wormbrand through his suffering, and what's going to get us through ours? The answer is hope. The world defines hope as wishful thinking of something that we want to happen. But the Bible defines hope as the confident expectation of what God will do for his people because of what Christ has already secured for them. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes with the morning. And 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Like we said, we are in no way making light of what you may have suffered or might still be suffering. But if you are in Christ, you can rest in the peace that your suffering is only temporary. Chris, Good Friday is coming up. Never was there a day more filled with so much suffering, nor was there ever a day that seemed so hopeless. Jesus suffered horrifically. But he wasn't the only one who suffered that day. The apostles and his followers suffered as they watched their Lord arrested, tortured, and killed. Even though Jesus had told them what was to come, just like he tells us that we'll suffer, when they were in the midst of it, they had no way of fully comprehending what Jesus meant. No, they didn't. But something miraculous happened. Sunday came. 
and with it, Jesus' resurrection and restored hope to his followers. Rose, let's finish this up with a post that we did on our Proverbs page uh, probably several months ago now. Good idea. On June 18, 1815, the 68,000-man British Army, commanded by Arthur Wellesley, Duke of Wellington, went up against Napoleon Bonaparte. He was the self-proclaimed Emperor of France, and his army of 72,000 troops were near the village of Waterloo. The Brits had everything on the line in this battle. If they defeated Napoleon, it would be an end to his reign of terror. But if they lost, Great Britain would become yet one more European country taken over by Napoleon. Knowing the entire country was anxiously waiting, the army devised a system to communicate the results of the battle as quickly as possible. What they did was a man was situated in a boat off the shore of Waterloo. When he saw the results of the battle, he was to signal a man in a church tower who would signal someone else who would signal someone else and on and on until the results reached the people of Great Britain. When the battle was over, the man in the boat was able to signal two words before a heavy fog rolled in. Those two words were Wellington defeated. This message was passed on down the line until it reached the people of Great Britain. The Brits were devastated. They had put all their hope into the Duke of Wellington and he was defeated. What hope was there for them now? But three hours later, though, the fog cleared and the man in the boat was able to get the rest of his message through. It was Wellington defeated the enemy. As that completed message passed on, can you imagine how joyful and elated the people of Great Britain felt? History says that Napoleon actually rode away from the battle crying. You know, when Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday... It was like the Waterloo for his followers. They had put all their hope in Jesus, and now the message they were receiving was Jesus defeated. I can't even imagine the devastation and hopelessness they felt that Friday and Saturday. But on the third day, the fog rolled out, and they were able to get the complete message. Jesus defeated the enemy. Maybe you're in a good Friday in your life right now, and the message that you're hearing in your head is, I'm defeated. But we're here to tell you, don't let that message stay there. Let the beautiful promises of scripture clear the fog and give you a new message that God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal." Oh, that is such a beautiful promise from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Chris, I want to end with another one from Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We pray that if you're in the midst of suffering right now, that you found some type of encouragement today. 
And if you aren't in the midst of suffering, we pray that you'll store some of these verses up that we shared for when the trials do come. Thanks for tuning in today. If you have any comments or questions or you would like us to pray for you, please message us through our website, Proverbs910Ministries.com or get a hold of us through Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a blessed day, everyone.